This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Westwards Mini Masterclass. I'm James, I am from Westwards. I am talking today with Catherine Jinx. Catherine, how are you today on this beautiful, what is it? It's late April day late. in Katoomba. Yes, well, it's sunny. It is which sunny. Is, no, it's not raining. That's an advance. That's something, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's brisk, but yeah. sunny. So, <laughs> so um, Catherine is a writer of books for people of all ages from picture books right through to adults some over 50 books our first book came out in 91 i believe is that, that correct that would probably Sounds about be right. around right 90 91 something like that. won four children's book council of the year awards you've probably won a couple actually of that's the second one ah yeah my first one sank without a trace so, okay know. okay so that's okay yeah. uh, early let's say early 90s mm-hmm. if we had to pigeonhole you as a writer which we don't like to do but if we had to would you consider yourself a Young adult writer, children's writer, and adult writer, or something more. See, I would have said once children's writer, but I'm. I haven't written a. Well, I've written some picture books lately, but I haven't written a proper children's novel for quite some years. I've been doing thrillers, adult thrillers, partly because somebody was willing to pay me for them. Well, what that, that's kind of relevant today because yeah. um, what we're going to talk about today is, um, well, about the changing phase. I know we've done this a little bit on the podcast before, but I thought Kathy had been an interesting person to talk to because you've worked across a whole bunch of different areas of the industry. D- different areas, different ages, different genres, mm. loads of different publishers, mm. Um like different countries and also it's been doing it for like for nearly 35 years I yes think. yeah that's right so yeah so um you're a good good person plus plus you're easy to talk to that always helps <laughs> as well so i thought what we'd talk to talk about today is some of the changes in the industry and 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 where they're coming from and how we approach them because it, it is kind of fairly well understood that writers incomes are shrinking still I mean, I gave you a rather sad example from my own personal <laughs> life just as we were driving down here. Um, I won't go into the details of that because it's all too embarrassing, but it, it wasn't a good number. Um, let's just start with what you think the main movers are in the way those numbers are coming down. What is it that's leading to writers' incomes dwindling? Is it more writers trying to do the same thing? Is it um, less people reading? I mean, what is it? I think the usual thing that people trot out and it's not without merit is the argument that there is just so much more to do in a room by yourself now like you you know what I mean once upon a time it was reading the paper or reading a book or possibly watching telly depending on what what time you're talking about now you have to get out the tv guide and the tv guide 8 30 you knew that country (laughs) practice was starting yeah yeah it's not like you could actually watch very good stuff for most of the by yourself in a room um and you couldn't smash out a whole series of it in an afternoon no that's right yeah Mm -hmm. so um it's just that there's more to attract you um in terms of, you know, computer games, um, streaming services, um, social media, social all media, stuff, yeah. all, all of this sort of stuff. So it's, it, it I, I mean, there's, there's no question about that. Um, even things like, I mean, God forbid you were, you're writing nonfiction now, because it's all on the internet. You know what I mean? Like mm. people don't need reference books anymore. Yeah. 
I mean, so that's pretty much put that to pasture. Well, I think I said this in the podcast quite recently. It might have even even been the last one. Yeah, it was actually with with Fiona Murphy, where I, I talked about when I was writing my second book, um, or my third book about the Burma Railroad, and I was going off to Hornsby Library and coming back loaded up with armfuls of books. Mm. You don't need to do don't that anymore. Don't need to do that anymore. And in fact, yeah, that's that's, that's in thirty five years, I've certainly. That's changed my whole research. I mean, Trove. I mean, trove, I'm trove, not saying yeah, internet's yeah. been a bad thing. We've got Trove. Well, well, like, you know. I know what Trove is, but uh, oh. just for any of our listeners who might not know what this incredible resource is, what's Trove? Trove is the most fantastic thing in the whole wide world. It's the, it's the Australian libraries and governments and what have you putting every single... Well, for example, I mostly go for the newspapers and gazettes section. Every single one ever published in Australia, if they can find it, I mean, they're not they're not all up there now. They're still doggedly putting them up there. But, oh, my heavens, the mm. amount of stuff that's up there now. And it's not just newspapers and gazettes. It's all sorts of things. It's different. There are different categories now, and I'm not sure what the other categories are because I always head straight for newspapers and gazettes but um, and I like the fact that you can because they're they're digitized of the you original can, you can look you up can actually but if you go and see that the the digitization is wrong and the word that they've put in is is Russell instead of Roussel or something you can go back and you can add you can change I think you can amend it can you or you can make I'm not sure actually but like but yeah but they have you can actually um, you can look it up you can look up a phrase you can look up a word it's just the best thing ever yeah so. if you if you want to kind of <laughs> want to see how times really have changed I mean when when we bought our house 25 years ago we found a a newspaper under the floorboards and um, it was quite old and we found the job section which was quite you know, or the secretarial section, the ex- successful young lady who gets this position. <laughs> and and, yeah. and I think you probably find that kind of thing on the, on Trove as well. Oh, it's best. It's the best. My great, 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 great grandfather's um, court appearance is on Trove. Oh, cool. But that's a longer story. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so that's one. I definitely think that is a factor. Look, I think the corporatisation of, of literature is another thing because the market's gone to the point where... It used to be you'd have sort of best sellers and then you'd have sort of middle sellers and then you'd have sort of not very, you know, sort of very literary, rare poetry, stuff like that at the the bottom. These days it's kind of, um, it's just, it's just went gone binary. It's gone big sellers and then hardly selling at all. There's none of the middle, the middle seller thing seems to have sort of faded away. And I don't know if it's something to do with because I was... Okay, I have lived through the phenomenon of Harry Potter. Mm. Harry Potter changed everything. We were... Across the border, just for children's. I'm wondering if it's for... I mean, I have an opinion on this, but I'd love to know Oh, do you? I do a little bit. Okay, well, this will be interesting, because I think... Because basically, before Harry Potter, we had... I was sort of pottering along, and it was all right, <laughs> but it wasn't exactly... Nice pun. Yeah. And then Harry Potter showed you could make enormous amounts of money from children's literature. Like, enormous... Like, we're not... We're talking US corporate levels of money from children's mm. literature. Mm, mm. So what happened was they actually started paying big money for children's literature. And for and then that sort of segued into... Um, you know, Hunger Games and a few, a couple of other yeah, things. You know um, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the, sil- the Silver Fin. 
Oh, and, and Charlie Higgins, the, that sort oh, of thing. God, what do they call? Oh, anyway, there were there were about two Lemony or three. Snicket. Lemony Snicket, yeah, yeah stuff yeah. like that. Mm. So there was big money to be made, um, which, on the one hand, it was good for a while because it meant that people were slinging out more money, and I got more money as a consequence of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it also meant I think that they were. It was like how now the film industry is more and more focused on making these Marvel things. Like it's almost like. Unless you're going to be making the big, big money from the books, why bother? It's, it's almost like that. It wasn't. It had turned into a big money spinning thing, and they put more money in, so they expected more money out. Mm. I think that was part of. I think that might have sort of affected it a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, look, my, my the short version of my opinion is that yes, I agree with you. I think that Harry Potter, um, sh- as you say, showed people right across the industry what could. If you if you hit the right zeitgeist, I think one thing it did was that it encouraged a whole bunch of people to try and write similar things, and, and a lot of people failed because they tried to copy a zeitgeist rather than build a zeitgeist. But mm. for me, the idea that it was almost almost like Titanic, the movie Titanic, where part of the part of the marketing machine around that was the numbers, like saying yeah. this cost a hundred million dollars, which at the time yeah. was I think the most expensive yeah. movie ever made. Um, and, and people went, oh, wow, that much money, it must be a really good film. Well, it was a good film. It wasn't a great film, but it had its moments, right? And I think there was that sort of thing went on with Harry Potter as well, where when the, I remember the day the fourth book came out in Australia, they sold 35,000 copies in a day. Mm-hmm. So she made a cool 120K in Australia in one day alone. Now, that's, that probably is dwarfed by, pre, by subsequent books. But I think part of that was numbers like that and the fact that people were queuing around the block overnight in scenes we haven't seen since the Beatles toured <laughs> to buy a, a children's book. Yeah. And the fact that adults were being seen reading children's books, a children's book on the train. Mm. It sort of, it was great for the children's industry. It made people understand that children's books weren't just Dr. Seuss and Golden, little golden books. But, but yeah, I agree that it was a, it was a bit of a false economy after a bit, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's sort of, People seem to think that 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 sort of stuff is lightning striking. Like it might be, like you, you and you had Twilight as well. That, oh, but, yes. you know, but it doesn't happen that often. And it's I think things have changed a bit to the point where books again might not be able to pull that off again. I don't know. I don't know. It seems to it's more influences now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I wrote a book called The Reform Vampire Support Group. Mm. And that was after I did fairly well in America with Evil Genius, right? And I produced this book and my agent in America, the film agent I had for a while, he went, he told me, oh, yeah, no, see, it's about vampires. Nobody's interested in vampires. <laughs> and then literally within months, the mm. Hunger Games, the um, Twilight hit. And so it's just like this um, weird... Um, yeah, that hurts. That, yeah. <laughs> that hurts. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, you know, it's like you, you put together a disco album just before ABBA brings yeah, yeah. the first thing. And you go, and goes, this will never work. Uh, Disco's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just remember that. But, yeah, it just depends on your... Yeah. It, it's been a funny thing to, to watch. There was, a, there was this... I mean, it was the, a golden glory era of of, you know, kids and teen literature there for sort of the first decade of the 21st century, I reckon. Like, it just went boom. And then um, it's kind of winding back now and becoming more... 
I don't know. They're trying to build on that success Look, in a way, and you're just yeah. too many people trying to do it. You, you mentioned something earlier when we were talking on the phone. You were saying that um, one of the other factors that you... I don't know if you see it as a positive or a negative or just, just something that causes a change, but the fact that the three-act structure that we see in, in film and television and, of course, so much of what we consume now is in those forms is, is infiltrating into the way we write books. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think there's quite a few things that are happening. What I was saying about popular culture, particularly computer games and, you know, fast-paced action movies and things like that it's not only like there's a, there's a few things that it's doing first of all it's making people particularly younger people I think want things faster in a book mm. so more and more I'm hearing a bit slow at the start but you know and you just think I have to speed up like we have to get to a climax mm. so you can't be an absolute supersonic speed and hyped up quality right at the beginning because there is nowhere to go mm. once you do that. But um, there is a, a sense you have to start... Well, OK, the, the traditional three-act structure always has your inciting incident fairly early on. And these days it's like... Well, like once upon a time... I mean, you pick up an old book and it's like... In the village of mm. V blank in 1752, a gentleman clergyman, you know, like it mm. really, like you just sort of had to settle into it slowly. And nowadays you can't do that. And and they're sort of saying start, like start as far into the story as you can, you know, with the, to try and get to it quickly. And then also people are very, very used to um, the three-act structure and they're particularly used, and they're also very used to... Um, well, narrative drives have to be a lot more driven, I think, these days than used to be. And I think that's why the thrillers have become so successful lately in the last, over the last sort of few years. The thrillers are the big sellers now, the adult thrillers, and it's partly because... Have you found that in your own career as well? Ah, uh, yeah. Hmm. Like, um, I mean, there's the big worldwide sense, but also in Australia, Jane Harper and things of, you know, you know, whoever sells quite a lot and is very successful in everybody, you know. But um, I think that in, in those kind of thrillers, they've started to put... You, you often have a bit of a twist and, or, a, or a kind of a... Yeah, it's very filmic. It's very much like the film. And, that, and that's what happens is people are so used to the films, they're expecting it in the books as well. So, well, do you think that's... What it is? You think it is that people have an expectation of how a story goes, mm. or is it the other thing where people are writing with a view to having the the film tie-in or the? Oh well, there's that too. No, I don't know. For in your own in your own writing, do you ever write thinking this would? No, no, no. I mean, the only time I've done that is when I actually wrote a. I actually, okay. Long story. So basically. I was asked to turn one of my books into a screenplay. This has happened a couple of times. Of course, it never gets made. But yeah. I, I learned on the job, as it were. I didn't go to any kind of course. So I was trying to teach myself and learn from other people who knew how to do it and all that. And after I'd, I'd done some this adaptation thing, I thought, you know, I'm going to try and write my own screenplay. 
from scratch, like not from a book, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I, I thought up this idea and I wrote the screenplay knowing it was more of an exercise than anything. Nobody was going to do it. I mean, I showed it to a few people who liked it, but it's not going to happen. And I thought, uh, it's, a, it's a good idea. I won't waste it. I'll turn it into a book. So <laughs> I flipped it and I turned it into a book. So that's definitely got a three-act type of structure, which I found very helpful, to mm. be honest. Was it a bit, bit easier to kind of... once? I guess writing it as a screenplay meant that you had the structure and the, st- the narrative side of it really down and then it mm. became a matter of... Yeah, I mean, it was... novelising your own... It was, all, it was almost like having a really, really good synopsis written out. Mm. Um, Complete with some lines of dialogue. With lots of lines <laughs> of dialogue. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, and I didn't really have to do much except add lots of description and put in some flashbacks. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I've done that, but I don't. I do tend to now occasionally think things like, hmm, "What if this would be the midpoint?" Like I do mm. think in that way because I've learned how to. But I don't think it's. It doesn't drive me massively, and I. Having look honestly, it's been about ten times I've had you know, production companies wanting to make stuff out of my... And it never happens. So yeah, I'm, I'm like... They buy the option and then that's that kind that's of thing. That's it, yeah. Um, oh, they try. I mean, they do try. They raise, they try and raise money and all that, but it never quite works. And so it's like it's a... As it's again, lightning strike. So you can't sit down and write a book thinking it'll be made into a film because it's just... You know, the chances of it being made into a film is, is very slight. I mean, do you think... One thing we learned, and this was the great irony for me, is that you know the, that writers weren't included in JobKeeper and all those sorts of things. Um, yes, for those playing at home, Catherine just rolled her eyes, and I. <laughs> well, actually, I sort of did in a in a way. Um, I, I had a really good tax okay. a, ta- a tax accountant who managed to get me stuff. I'll get you some. De- mm. I'll get details from you later. But um, <laughs> my point is that the irony was that. Uh, artists weren't being compensated for their what they were losing in their income, uh, and yet people were coming home or staying home and watching Netflix, oh. who, which is actually written by real people, right? And uh, they're all about to go on strike because of the way they're being treated. Right. Okay. And yeah, we could also make the case, and someone made this case the other day, just as a sidebar, that. Uh, we ended up with Donald Trump in the White House because of the writers. A whole bunch of writers went on strike and that was why they came up with the whole idea of this <laughs> The Apprentice and this reality thing. Right, right. And that's what, anyway. Yeah. So it's our fault, folks. It's our fault. We, we, <laughs> this is where, where things lead when, when writers decide to get uppity. Anyhow, um, my point is that Netflix and, and the streaming services made it really easy to find lots of content very quickly and, yes. and go, you know, I'll give this a go. And we were talking about Outlander today and how I think you gave it an episode and a half. We gave it literally one episode before we went, no, the writing and this is really horrible. It looks good, but it, it, it is awfully written. And so we didn't invest in a, a DVD set and then go, oh, this is terrible. We just went, no. And we'll often do that halfway through an episode going, we just look at each other, we've got, my wife and I have got this sort of shorthand, <laughs> look at each other, we've got a look, it's like, eh, 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 and we just go for something else. My point is, do you think books are going there as well, where there's, because I, I know that when I go to big, for example, Children's Book Council events, and I look at all the books, I think we're publishing too many books. There's so much dross, and then there's a few little nuggets in there that are good, 
what's your view on that? Do you think we're publishing too many? Do you think we're not publishing enough? Where are we at in that? Because yes, there's so much on Netflix, but so much of it is just unwatchable. Yeah. Um, and it's funny how you sit there with Netflix. You go, right, let's watch some Netflix. Let's see what's on. Dong, dong, dong. And the more there is, the less inclined you seem to want to actually. And then you go back that, to I view and watch ABC. Yeah, it's that choice thing that <laughs> yeah. people talk about where people go completely mad. I mean, I always remember going to American supermarkets for the first time and looking at the, like the breakfast cereal aisles and going, oh my God, look at it all. Like, it Do you just... have wheat mix? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You sort of think, it'd be, it's much easier to make a choice when there's less. Yes, but, that's true. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I honestly don't know. The thing is, if they publish less books, writers would have even less chance of being published. Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's a, uh, it's, and it's very hard now to get published. Very hard, and that's with. Well, let's let's talk about that because um, I've I've been asked by many people, and I don't know what the answer to this is because I've been on both sides of this. But people say, should I get an agent first or should I go straight for the publisher? And I know that the it used to be, I suppose, back when you and I started started in the industry, I think going for a publisher was kind of you could do that because they're a lot more accessible in that way. Do you think that's changed? Well, you know what they're doing now, though? More and more of them are doing those prizes where you can send in manuscripts. Like the text prize. That's yeah, like text prize. But there's, there's HarperCollins is doing one, I think, now. And there's, I think, one or two other ones Westwards well. did one with Ultimo Press. Well, that, mm. exactly. Mm. This is what I'm saying. So there is that. That may indicate that it is getting harder. And so they're able to do that. I don't know... I've got a slightly more cynical view. What have, of that. You got? what have you got? I mean, I think it's clever, but and if I were a, if I were work, if I were running a publishing house, I would do exactly the same thing because I, I've, I've felt for a long time that something like the text price to pick on that one for a minute. Um, for those who don't know, the way this works is that text prize have a, it's a ten thousand dollar prize and a publishing contract for a book for children or young adults, but you submit it to them completed. And I think what they and and they will publish the winner, but they also publish what they like out of the rest of what's submitted. Yeah. And I think that it's actually a really clever way for the publisher to make sure that the majority or many of the many of the, the manuscripts that they're getting are actually at an advanced state. They're actually people have actually gone. I can't send in something on spec and hope they pick it up. It's going to be competing with a whole bunch of other really really well finished and edited work. I've got to really kind of make sure that what I'm sending them is at an advanced stage. I don't know about that because do you know why? Hmm. Okay. Every every book I've ever sent in without a... Like, every book, every book is at my most advanced stage. I'm not going to send... I mean... Well, I, I know, but you're, you you're, 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 you're an experienced professional writer. I'm, I'm, right. Uh, I know that publishers get a lot of stuff that gets sent in that probably isn't ready. But they don't realise it's not ready. Yeah, true. I mean, honestly, you, the things I've seen, mm. and and these are you know intelligent people. <laughs> I think you just have to keep on saying it's one of my main. Th- I mean, all the people I know, like there's a couple of people I know who do editing businesses, mm. and some people will, you know, have very odd ideas about what editors do. But mm. there's this idea about how honestly I, I say, do they think that this is like a hobby this is a job mm. and everything has to be nailed down I, I i get given something and i say there's a problem right here in the fourth para and there's another problem right here on the second page 
no one is going to go further than that because it looks like you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like you have to get it, you have to nail it or they're not going to look at it. And basically, if you don't understand that, you don't understand that. Like it, it, I don't think people are going to send in a half-ass thing because they think it's half-ass. They, they send in a half-ass yeah. thing because they think it's finished. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. th that's right. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's just... Sometimes I, I think to myself, I have no skills. And then I see somebody else's manuscript and I think, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if we, if we, if we think, about the, think about this way, it's getting harder to get published. There's more people trying to get published. The money's getting worse. The money's getting worse. I mean, clearly, and I've said this on the podcast before, that you know, I remember my, my best friend saying to me one time when I was massively despondent about... Uh, not being shortlisted for a CBC when I was had been fairly doesn't make of, so much of a difference anymore. I don't no, think. but the point is that he, um, I was very despondent. And he said to me, "How many of these awards did you know about when you first started writing?" And I said, "None." And he said, "So, are you writing because you're writing for the right reasons anymore, or are you writing for these awards that you, th you think you deserve to win?" And it was a really good wake-up call for me too. So, what do you think about that in terms? of... Is it just a matter of going, "Look, I just..." I just have to do this, and if I get, if I make a living from what I do, make a living from it. If I don't, then I'm just writing for love. I mean, how do you become more mercenary about that? It's an interesting thing because I'm now in a position where I have to, for the first time in, God, I mean, when I first started writing, I was working full time at a bank. Mm -hmm. Then I gave up my job after a few years because I got married, so I had somebody to fall back on. And then we moved overseas and I couldn't have got, I had to apply for some kind, like it was to Canada and getting a job would have been a bit tricky, but you know, so I didn't, I, I focused on writing, but we could, you know, it was a cheaper way of living and so forth. And he had a full-time job and blah, blah, blah. Then I came back and I basically did nothing but write books. And then I had a baby, you know, so, that oh, interferes you can, you can with write a with a baby. You can write back. with a baby, but you can't. <laughs> I'm joking, sort of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sort of can if you put them into two days a week of day daycare. But um, basically, I've been living on fiction writing money and school visit workshop money mm -hmm. all this time like for, you know, 30 odd years or whatever. And now, only now in the last couple of years, I've had to do some extra editing work and stuff to keep it going. Yeah. So that this is me, this is me, like, mm. and I've been doing it for so long. Mm. And I've got a big back catalog, which brings me a reasonable amount of eel up, eel up for those who know <laughs> lending, or not. Lending rights. Yeah, lending yeah. rights. Look, look it up if you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So. But have you noticed that getting, that getting smaller? Oh I, yeah. My lending rights yeah. has gone way down, yeah. partly because books that are further back on the on the backlist fall off the list. Fall off but the also list. I think there's more people competing for that for the money that's available now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to be able to rely on a particular figure. You can't do that no, anymore. No, you can't do that anymore. You just don't know. It seems to be going down about two thousand dollars a year for me. Mm. Um so definitely the money's going down. Because this podcast is in many ways intended for people who are aspiring to write or at the beginning of their careers or whatever. What's your advice? Don't bother. 
That would be a very sad bit of advice. I don't think that's what you want to say. No, you can't because, look, my agent always says there's two kind of writers. And one of them is the writers that literally survive. Like they're, they're not, not, not economically, but it's part of their psychological makeup. They have to do it. Mm. I, I have to do it mm. in some way. I don't have to do it the way I used to have to do it. But it makes you, it puts you, if you do it right, look, it can be absolutely agonising, but actually putting it down on paper, I don't know, I've got a sort of a, I've got a, I've got a double ability. I've got a quite an imaginative ability, but I've also got a real editorial nitpicky ability. So yeah, you, 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 have an, you have a, you're one of the people I know who's got a very, very clear understanding of things like structure, which we're going to talk about at some point in the future, but mm. um, that, that sort of the technical side of it the technical side of it and so I get quite a lot of um, like that's why I'm doing editing jobs now um, and I'm married to an editor which helps and we're just sort of like I get into a bit of a flow state just putting just constructing sentences and things I, I the flow state is what you're looking for it makes you happy you know what I mean and I do that anyway and then being able to I feel extremely Less so now than I used to as I'm getting older, my imaginative creative drive is perhaps, you know, wittering away. But I feel very happy to be, if I hit a nice idea and it's going well, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. But even in those, I mean, this is slightly off topic, but it's something I do like to talk about and we'll wrap up after this, but even on those ideas that are going really well, do you have those days where you just go, I don't know where this is going to go next. I'm a little bit stuck. Or do you don't have those days? Are you I'll, tell, those? I'll tell you what I do mm. to stop that from happening mm. is to um, do it all in front. So I do enormous, very detailed synopses before I start, like a like a screenwriter, really. Right. So that take that can take me up to, to a couple of months. Is that hard to not get into the writing? Like, are you stinging to Bloody get... Bloody oath it is. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard, but... Because that's that's my that's one of my great flaws as a writer. I can't wait to get into the writing, so I'll just get into the writing and then I'll worry about the other stuff later and that's when I get stalled. Oh, my dear. See, I started like that and then halfway yeah. through, like, a, a th- second book or third book or something? Third book, I think. Yeah, third book. Oh, it only took you three books to work this out. I'm, I'm at book 35 and I still haven't worked that. <laughs> but the third book, I was halfway through and I realised I couldn't finish it because I had no idea where yeah, I was going. Yeah. And so what I do now... And that, that is probably the hardest part, the hardest part of it, is where you're putting together a synopsis of the book that you're going to write. You maybe have a vague idea of where you're going. But I actually write it all down beforehand. Like, in, I, I, I like, can't, a, like a grown-up would. Like, well, like <laughs> chapter, chapter breaks, I'm not... I try and do chapter breaks, but it can often change. But basically, you get to that point where you've got that knot and you're picking at it and it's not coming undone and you're thinking, okay. And then you just have to let it go for a while. Mm. But you just go for a walk thinking, thinking, thinking. Have a shower thinking, thinking. But you see, I'm not doing it when I've already written a half of it, you know. I have to do it beforehand. So I sort that out. And then when you write, when you're halfway through and you just feel like you're going to die, like doing this goddamn thing, 
it's there. It's like a ladder to, to pull yourself up with. You know what you're doing. Yeah, so, I guess the, the, the example I gave someone the other day when we were talking about this, and I think, I don't know, please forgive me, listeners, if I have talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast, but the difference between, the way I see it, the difference between somebody who is experienced and someone who isn't experienced is that they'll both hit those spots where they find it almost impossible to move ahead. But the difference with the experienced person is they have confidence that they know. They have the confidence. That they, that they will get before, past it. They will and so get they will it. get past yeah, it. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. unbelievable how much that makes a difference. That a difference. is the crucial difference. Because I know that I will get past it, but yeah. it can take weeks. Yes. Okay. Well, so yeah. we're, we're, we're similar in that score. It's mm. just the, the way we get tangled up is a, is a different way of tang- entanglement, if you like. Well, that gives me. It actually, <laughs> this is very meta, but it actually gives me enormous confidence to hear you say that because I really, I do admire the way you write and how much you write. So that gives me confidence to know that we're kind of on the same page. Yeah, I mean, oh, everybody gets to that because what do you, you know, you just get to that, it's, the, it's that fork in the woods, and you think, am I going to go this way? Am I going to go that way? Or you know, or, or I a can't cliff. See, I can't see the fork. Yeah. <laughs> or there's a cliff. I'm stuck on this really, really boring. There's this cliff. How am I going to get over this cliff? This cliff is completely. I'm going to actually it's so much like that because when you're doing sometimes a getting out of a problem mm. like uh you know what sort of what are they what's the you know the hero character going to do to try and get you out of this problem it's just like you that's it. you're exactly the same looking up at this cliff where's the little staircase that's going There to is be- none <laughs> because I burnt it in the first chapter <laughs> I burnt the- the ladder. Oh, God damn But you it. see, when you're planning, you can go back, okay, I won't have burnt that ladder. Mm. I'll have done this, but I haven't written it yet. I'll introduce a, a, a foil called MacGyver who's going to make a ladder out of <laughs> yeah. some, string and a, some string and a paper clip. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could natter about this all day, and I would love to, but you've got to finish your duck spring rolls. And um... <laughs> Okay, final question. Do you feel optimistic for where literature is going? Do you think we're just going to have to accept that it's going to change or, or can we can we stick to the old ways? Are we going to have to embrace the new ways, embrace different different modalities of storytelling? What's, what's going to happen? Well, the thing is, change is all part of it anyway. Like, it's changing and as you get older, you see, you have to try and get yourself into the head, headspace of a new thing. And we're, I'm writing for a different audience now. I'm giving workshops to a different audience now. Mm. You have to change. You have to because you're you have an audience. If you don't have have an audience, and you don't have to change. You can keep on writing whatever you want. But I've got an audience, and it's changing, and so I've got mm. to change. Especially some, it's a young audience. Yeah, because I remember some of those older teacher librarians back when, even when I first started, you know, they talk about you know what books they wish kids were reading. They're all saying you know Famous Five and Blight and that sort of thing, which bears zero relevance to new readers now. Mm. Um, now that, you know, but you talk to any teacher librarian now and they'll say, look, the, the section we can't keep stocked is the, um, the graphic novel section. So do we have to just embrace where people are going with different kind of story forms? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've always, I used to love, um, you know, sort of comic books, like, but not like comics, but also, you know, like Asterix and Tintin and mm. all mm. of them, Tan Tan, whatever. Um, and so graphic novels aren't a... I mean, I even wrote one. Um, it was called The Secret of Hermitage Isle. So I love them. So yeah. I've got no problems with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of... In terms of books, I think... The one thing about books is you don't need electricity. 
<laughs> and <clears throat> frankly... Except for the torch that you're using to read under the blankets, right? Well, I mean, you, if it's books you can take with you camping, books you can mm. have in case. Book Like, it shouldn't be underestimated books because, well, one of, you know, I, I think that they're very sturdy things that will... People, st- I mean, what's happened is that e-books have plateaued, which is not what anybody was expecting. No. And they just aren't rising and rising and rising the way everybody was expecting them to. And it's pretty obvious why, because you read things on the screen differently from reading. They've actually done research into it from a page. It does not stick the way it does on a page. They've it's actually the same when done. you're writing, right? Yeah, exactly. I can't edit properly on a screen. Mm. I need my text to really get the impact of the full thing and pick the problems so and people have worked that out and so they will they are like even though perhaps the numbers of people and the other thing is people don't have the money to buy books you know like it's it's getting like that so if only there was a place you could go and get books for free to read yes exactly (laughs) but um anyway i think that people have there's just a point at which books are still people still want books they want All these young people I know, they want the actual book. Mm. They actually love the object. It's quite interesting. Um, so for anyone out there wanting to write books, it's not all lost, is it? It's not all lost. It's just... Oh, no, I, didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like the emphasis. <laughs> you use it. It's not all lost. It's, it's almost all lost, but it, we're not quite there. <laughs> well, I mean, put it this way. Look, it's to do with the fact of how much other work you're going to have to do if you're going to be a writer. Yes. That's yeah. all. And I, when I started, I had to do other work. Mm. And it's just... Um, it's just hard to do other work, especially if you're doing other writing-related work yeah. or really tiring physical work to keep writing. But if you really want to, you will do it anyway because that's yeah. what I did on weekends and yeah. everything. And it's just a matter of how, as a career, like it's a funny old career and it was always a funny old career. And writer in a garret is not like it. it's, you know, it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You only had to read George Gissing's... You have to read George Gissing's New Grub Street. Anybody who wants to be a writer... New Grub Street. New Grub Street. It is the best book about a bunch of different kinds of Victorian writers. There's a novelist, there's a journalist, there's like a sort of a hack essayist, all of these different characters, all writing as in, in a sort of industry. George who? George Gissing. G-I-S-S... ING. And from that you will see it's it's amazingly relevant for today. Well, I mean Cicero said. Yeah. Cicero said back whenever that was, you know, 2000 years ago, he said times are tough. Kids won't listen to their parents and everybody wants to write a book. Well, you know, he literally other... said that. <laughs> he literally said that. And everybody and also the other one is publishing what is it? The publishing industry is in crisis and has been for the last 300 years. <laughs> That's it. Oh, there's so many great quotes. Anyway, okay. Catherine Jinks, thank you so much for talking to us today. It was a meandering little chat, but I think we've got some some nuggets of wisdom from you today. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, James.